Hello, team, and welcome to Bureaucracy. Very excited today. Very special guest. You guys know him before. He's been on this. He is back and ready more than ever. So we have Joe Dressen. He's from Keenan Institute at the Wilson Center. And I don't know if you recall, I think you were my second guest. We talked all about, yeah, we talked all about what was the impending situation with Russia and Ukraine. And obviously that has happened and changed in so many different drastic ways. And Joe is basically here to, first of all, talk to us about where his prediction might have gone a little awry. And then also all the updates about what's been going on. And it's really important that we still keep up to date with this atrocity and this war going on because not only affecting so many lives, but it's also affecting the entire world. So let's talk about it. First of all, talk to me about what you're drinking. So the only beer we had is this Guinness Stout, which I hate, but uh, <laughs> it goes with the topic. I'm not very fond of talking about this topic. So exactly. It's and it's this time I got my Keep Calm and Study Ukraine mug, and that's where I'll be enjoying this tasty beverage. Love to hear it. And uh, so I have Victory Beer. It's called Summer Love Golden Ale. It was in my fridge. It's pretty good. Um, but also victory for Ukraine. So, woo! Yes. Let's do it. So, let's start. The two predictions that didn't work out, uh, and I'll, I'll preface that by saying that I got one prediction especially right, and that is that by being terribly wrong on these predictions, I look kind of foolish. Uh, <laughs> but here, here, here are the actual predictions. So, I predicted that Russia would not invade. Yeah. And I also predicted that uh, Russia would probably have very quick uh, military success on the battlefield, but would not be able to hold the territory that it held. And so of those, obviously, you know, days later, Russia invaded. Right. Uh, and but also <laughs> seconds after Russia invaded, turned out that uh, the Ukrainian military is far more prepared than anybody had expected or yeah. could have hoped. So uh, they are definitely uh, fighting Russia, giving them more than they could have possibly have asked for in terms of resistance. Um, they initially, the Russians initially thought that they would topple the government in Kiev within days, maybe a couple weeks. Uh, and actually the Russians were forced to retreat from the region of uh, Kiev and basically most of the north. And now the revised war goal for Putin is to uh, consolidate control over more territory in the Donbass and establish a land bridge uh, with its previously annexed territory in Crimea. Interesting. And also, That's, no shame in the incorrect... No one could have expected this to happen in any... Sh whatsoever. I'm just happy to have you back to give us all the information again. So I, I will say the people who did have it right uh, were one, the Biden administration, because they were sounding the alarm all along, and everybody thought they were, you know, uh, Cassandra's Chicken Littles pushing us towards war. But only, but no, what they did was they were predicting exactly what Russia was doing as they were doing it. So that was amazing. And it's probably there were quite a few experts of, out there, yeah, insider who were sort of calling it real time. So I mean, let's talk about. I mean, there's been absolute insane carnage, and I also think. Ukraine has managed to hold up more than I think anyone could have ever anticipated and really kind of a rallying front behind Ukraine across the entire world. What have you seen? What do you know? Like, give us the load on what's happened the past couple months. I, I will tell you that the insights I have mainly come from me following my sources on Twitter. Yeah. I am not a military expert. Uh, I don't put, claim to be one, but I do know which ones I trust and believe in. And what they're telling me uh, is that... I think the decisive uh, efforts came before the war, came after Crimea, 
and that was the United States uh, training military forces in Ukraine, uh, totally reforming that military force as an operational unit, uh, introducing the system of NCOs, non-commissioned officers, kind of more based on, on uh, Western, American, NATO uh, force structures where you have uh, officers down the chain of command, even including sergeants, who are allowed to take initiative on the battlefield and react more quickly, mm-hmm. whereas uh, Russia is still very much a uh, Soviet legacy, legacy military, uh, very top-down, very little initiative, uh, very poor on organizing logistics. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've, I think the ultimate witness we've seen on this, the, the key indicators, we've seen the deaths of 10 to 12 Russian generals on the battlefield of Ukraine. And can you imagine any number of generals uh, in the United States military losing their lives? No. no. The other thing you've seen is that the, the Russian forces have suffered more casualties in the 100 days of fighting in Ukraine than the Soviet army lost in uh, years and years of fighting in Afghanistan. Uh, they've lost more soldiers, they've lost more equipment, they've lost more vehicles, airships, uh, over, you know, a sustained, I repeat again, a sustained ground campaign and air campaign in Afghanistan uh, in the 70s and 80s. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, it's really kind of an embarrassment uh, for the Russian forces, how they performed. Uh, it's amazing how the Ukrainian military has performed. Uh, that, all that being said, the Russians still have a lot of military forces yeah. to bring to bear. Uh, and the uh, the conflict right now is sort of at a bit of a stalemate. They're advancing by inches. This is really starting to look. It's it's a it's a battle of artillery and standoff rocket strikes. Um, and every now and then the Russians will lob uh, ordnance uh, to Ukraine's west. Uh, they just did so in Kiev today. Um, yeah. So you know the Russians feel. Uh, justified in striking any target within Ukraine whatsoever at any moment's notice, uh, but, but they I are think, still keep yeah. Yeah, they are still keeping it to to Ukraine. They have not struck outside of Ukraine yet. Well, I feel like if they do, well, then um, and this is all talking about NATO. Remember, sure. I think if two, what countries? Finland and Sweden. Sweden didn't they just yes. apply for NATO? And that's they did. Yeah. They've applied. I th- I, I'm not sure if the final session has been passed. I know that Hungary is trying to exert its pound of yes, flesh. Because he, um, the current Hungarian president, air quotes president, is like basically Trump. So. Yeah. It, I mean, it's he's a uh, populist autocratic ruler. Uh, and that populism is rooted in sort of nationalism ethno-nationalism and uh it's he once he once he got into power he uh definitely undermined all of the political institutions within hungary and there's there's no free media there's no way for opposition uh politicians to gain the airways and everything is just sort of rooted in um keeping orban in power Awesome. And so he's basically fucking everything up in regards to NATO and a lot of shit. (laughs) He's doing, he's living his best life. Uh, His best life. Everyone else is worse. (laughs) You you can say that, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to keep nice with Putin by, you know, playing a rear guard and stopping this expansion from happening. 
but I think he's going to come around. Uh, he'll be bought off somehow, some way. Uh, we're more likely to see Finland and Sweden in the NATO alliance than not at this point. Right. Interesting. So, I mean, and I also remember, you know, when we were talking, there's a lot of talk about how similar Russia, Ukrainian cultures and people are. Sure. And I also see a lot of things on Twitter as well. And all, listen, Twitter is great for giving journalists on the ground a voice that media, mainstream media will not give and does mm-hmm. not cover. However, also, like with any news source, it is important that you check your facts, whatever. However, I've seen a lot on Twitter and a lot of Ukrainian journalists and Ukrainian people on the ground talking about how just there's like, Russian soldiers coming in with just trying to like ethnically get rid of Ukrainian culture and infiltrate with all this like a complete Russian takeover and just this horrendous attack and dispute between and obviously Ukrainians are never going to ever forgive Russians for this but it's also so surprising to see so many Russian soldiers come in and be totally okay just demolishing their neighbor and everything who they are yeah when they have such culture and history in common. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think this just really speaks to the propaganda of what Putin has been saying, but also just like human psychology and war and like the horrendous, all of it. I mean, what have you been seeing? I mean, what stories have you heard from the ground? What is like the Wilson Center and Keenan Institute looking at? Sure. So I will say, yes, they're absolutely pummeling uh, Ukraine's east. They are attacking civilian infrastructure. They have blown the city of Mariupol, which is one of Russia, uh, Ukraine's major port cities. They've basically reduced the entire city almost to rubble. Um, it's been horrible. The, the, in other words, the, the people in Ukraine who have suffered the most are the very uh, Russian ethnic and ethno... Ethno-Russian, uh, Ukrainian... Well, well the, the language, yeah. right? The, the Russophones, right? The people yeah. who speak Russian, the people who are Russian ethnically, those are the people who are bearing the brunt of this war. Right. Uh, you know, Putin's declared war aim was to liberate these people from the Nazis uh, in Kiev. And Once again, bullshit. Zelensky well, <laughs> yeah, is a joke. <laughs> of course, it's it's so ridiculous, but absolute bullshit. If you think in the, it's it's almost too simple to say, but it's it's kind of like well, the way we use Nazis over here. If there's something you don't like, you call it a Nazi. Right. Uh, it just has added freight in the Russian context because their entire sort of, you know, origin myth, if you will, of, of, of Russia. Its grounding principles are built up around its victory in World War II against Nazism. Um, of course, that, that kind of forgets that a lot of people who were fighting the Nazis were the Ukrainians, right? Uh, they were, they, that was the territory. But it also goes back to show the ter- tactics that the Russians are employing in Ukraine now. They're not unlike what they employed in World War II, because once... Uh, you know, Ukraine was liberated from the Nazi armies. There is a significant, you know, Ukrainian nationalist force that wanted uh, to win its own sovereignty after that that conflict. And, you know, uh, it took the Russians years after World War II's official end for them to stamp that out, but stamp it out they did. And uh, it's it's not unlike what, uh, you know, the Soviets would try to do. They would go into territories that they... Uh, Seized, like when they first uh, grabbed Ukraine or grabbed back Ukraine uh, in the Russian Civil War, or what they would do when they uh, you know, assimilated the Baltic states, uh, you know, in, in the Molotov Ribbentrop Pact. One of the first things they do is they, they grab up the political leaders, the artists, the, the cultural, you know, figures of the society, and they would arrest them and they would disappear them. 
Well, it's the same thing's happening now. Another parallel to uh, past conflict is what we're seeing now in Ukraine that the Russians are setting up are so-called filtration camps. Filtration camps yeah. being the fame uh, during the Russian Chechen war, where the uh, Russian army would set up uh, camps where they would grab up any military-aged male, hold them, uh, try to figure out if they were, you know, uh, fighting with the, the separatists or not, and uh, you know, torturing them and uh, releasing them, perhaps, you know, with a you know with a large payment, a, a ransom payment, if you will. Uh, and you know, even though even those killed in those filtration camps had to be ran- their bodies had to be ransomed back to their to their families. Right. Uh, that was in the Chechen war. We're starting to see the filtration camps pop up again, and they are definitely sending. Um, Ukrainian people, Ukrainian kids, uh, back home, uh, back home, by back home, I mean back to Russia. Uh, and it's, it's just amazing what they're trying to do. So it's uh, when when journalists, when, when scholars, when advocates refer to uh, Putin fighting a war of genocide uh, in, in, in Ukraine, <laughs> and my cat just showed up, so they'll say hi. Hello. Um, he, he, he's, he's like, very upset he's like, by Ukraine's Putin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's, yes. that's 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 the that's the translation. Exactly. Anyway, uh, they are <laughs> uh, they are definitely repeating that they're building on their experience from Chechnya to apply to what's going on in uh, uh, what they're doing in in Ukraine today. That meow you hear is really just the voice of the Ukrainian people saying, "What the fuck?" <laughs> exactly. I don't know if he wants to go outside or if he wants his mom, but yeah. he wants something. Well, it's something. It is. It is basically genocide. It's crazy, you know. And yeah. Okay. That's I meant well, to make right. a broader so, point of genocide. Genocide is not just killing people physically. It's about eradicating their culture. Which is what it kind so, of appears that Putin's trying to do. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, first of all, he doesn't believe that there is a separatist or a, a distinct Ukrainian culture to begin with, right? Right. So this is part of that. It's if you can eliminate the vestiges of uh, Ukrainian culture, growing culture, it has a very separate culture. Um, you could have watched Ukraine's performance in Eurovision to see that it's very different from a Russian act. Uh, right. and, and by the way, so this is another uh, avenue down which Putin is failing. He wanted to reclaim Ukraine back to the Russian fold. Well, now he's actually galvanizing all of Ukraine against Russia. I mean, before the annexation in 2014, Russia was very popular uh, in yeah. Ukraine. By and large, uh, you know, it was very far from a, a majority had any interest in joining NATO. Uh, and I talked in our, our, our last conversation about there being a political pendulum, right, right in, in Ukraine between pro-Western and pro-Russian uh, leaders. And, you know, the 2014 annexation of Crimea and the separatist war, that was brought about by, you know, a, a head of scheduled uh, pendulum shift. When the pro-Russian leader fled uh, the Maidan demonstration, Impressive. well, so that I guess Putin decided that he did not want to wait. So that's when he annexed Crimea. That's when he started the separatist wars in the in the east, and that's when he turned a basically 45-45 split politically in Ukraine to 80-20, and that's when Putin lost Ukraine politically. Interesting. Well, what he's done now is he's lost Ukraine civilization. I'll, t- I'll I'll tell the story that I have now. I was talking uh, with a a young Ukrainian uh, at some, you know, party of IR professionals. Right. And, you know, he 
couldn't quite he he wanted my take on why you know the West was being so very careful about how it phrased things and what arms it would send to to Ukraine. And I basically referenced Lord of the Rings, right? Where there's a section of Lord of the Rings where the two hobbits are like walking around in Mordor, yeah. and they see two orcs off the distance arguing and literally almost coming to blows. But they knew that if the orcs saw the hobbit, saw them, the hobbits, then they would immediately drop their argument and go straight at them with violent intent. And that's kind of like how the Russians operate, I said. They're, they Once there's a challenge coming from outside, they'll unify and they'll come after <laughs> whoever the foreign person is, right? Sorry, for people and, who are listening to this, uh, Joe's cat is just mauling him right now. This cat is so, part dog, I tell you right now. Literally. So, but the guy, the guy, the young Ukrainian, his eyes got wide when I told him the story. And... You know, he hadn't read the book, but he saw the movie. This is, all right, this is like a very serious topic, but I, this cat is Uh, just, okay, uh, all right, okay, so it's now sitting like a parrot. Okay, okay. oh, there it is. Now he's, yeah, now he's happy. He's, okay. For the moment. (laughs) The point being. Yes, the point being. His eyes got wide, the Ukrainian fellow, and he said, that's what we call them. I said, what do you mean? We call them orcs. The Russians. Wow. And I'm like, you're crazy. What? Really? Yes, it's true. I mean, Orky. We call them Orky. They're like, that's a plural of orcs <laughs> in, 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 in Russian and Ukrainian. And I was just amazed by that. But it seems so. But that's just another, you know, point of data on the whole. Uh, Ukrainians and Russians aren't going to get back together. They're never, they're never ever going to get back together. Yeah, yeah. Right? We are never, ever, ever get it back together i think it's how the song goes um anyways yes uh so better screw- than do the man that's singing yeah and <laughs> that's not saying much so um yeah i mean it's a it's absurd it's crazy and i know that putin just came out saying something along the lines that if we provide if the u.s provides more missiles that they're gonna start take that as like an act of war and whatnot and this has just been also just kind of something going on that he's it's, been saying over and over and over again. Yeah, but it's I, nothing. It's it's new, but it's not new, right? They're, exactly. They're going to claim that they will strike targets that they haven't struck before. Right. And I guess by targets they haven't struck before, maybe they're going to concentrate more on military targets instead of you know hospitals. That would almost be a relief. Yeah, but that would he's talking be about they're going to start. If he's talking about he's going to start bombing warehouses in Poland. I mean, yeah, they hit Poland. That's like a direct attack on NATO. That's then, Article 5 of NATO, right? right? So exactly. that's when gloves come off, and that's when we get closer to the nuclear exchange. But that's also when Russia learns that there's uh, there would be a price to pay. Because right. I think I think the Western alliance would react decisively. Right. So I want to, speaking of Poland, this is a very interesting thing that's been going on. So obviously sure. there has been... In immense carnage um, from Russians on Ukrainians. Um, just, mm-hmm. I think it's horrendous. It's brutal. It's awful. A lot of things have happened. Is a lot of women have been raped. Um, yes. And Poland is one of the direct places where a lot of Ukrainians are fleeing. And unfortunately, I've seen this on Twitter. A lot of Ukrainian women who were raped by Russians or then end up pregnant and are fleeing in Poland are unable to get abortions. Do you know about this? Do you know of any of situations going on? I haven't, I haven't run into uh, to exact uh, stories like this, but it seems par for the course for the right. way Russians conduct war. Uh, this is what they did when they sort of uh, invaded into Germany. 
at the end of tail days of uh, World War II. And it's also a way that warfare has been conducted by sort of terrible forces worldwide, historically, but also today. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's sex as a weapon to um, sexual violence as a weapon to sort of demoralize the, the people you're fighting against. And it's also part of genocide, right? It's, it's, right. Uh, this is a tactic that uh, goes back to Genghis Khan. I truly went like on a like a mental health spiral after just perusing Twitter for too long, looking at what was going on in Ukraine. And I mean, the images are horrific. You see photos of yes. people naked, like in with the hands behind their backs, shot. You know, you yes. see videos of just horrendous acts against humanity, and you hear stories of people being tortured brutally and just. I mean, it's abhorrent. I mean, what is the international community doing about this? I know there's just the first Russian soldier that was just convicted of war crimes, but it's, it feels so inadequate, you know, it's just to, it's, I don't know about you, but it feels so frustrating and it feels so wrong to just sit here knowing that these horrendous acts against humanity and don't be wrong. What's going on now has happened. It happens all over the world, but this is just also just a very interesting case where it's so shown on social media and in news and whatnot, that I feel like it's important to talk about and discuss about ways in which to, what you've been hearing, what you've been seeing, what some governmental organizations have been seeing and doing. It's something along the lines of that. So basically it just means uh, don't go wobbly. That means uh, the Americans, but also means our our European allies. It also means that we need to do a better job of uh, bringing more countries across the world uh, to this struggle, to condemning Russia overtly. Um, you know, while over half of the world by GDP is uh, strongly against Russia and involved in the sanctions, far less than half of the world by population is doing any kind of uh, denunciation of, of what's going on, what Russia is doing in Ukraine. Uh, these, you know, it's India, it's China, it's Africa, it's Latin America. I think for one part, it's he, they consider it this is your problem, not our problem. So yeah. I don't make us get involved. Um, it's also, you know, why are we going to come down the side of, you know, America and Europe, the colonizers of most of this yeah. <laughs> the planet? Uh, I'm sure that's part of it. Uh, part of it is also these, the less you protest what Russia is doing, the better access you have to discounted Russian energy. Um, you know, sanctions are doing a great job uh, on wrecking the Russian economy, but they are still making a lot of money on their energy exports because their war has driven up energy costs higher. I don't know if you've right. heard of a you know, tank of gas lately, but it's yeah. that's all over the world. Uh, and, you know, it's partly because we're coming out of the pandemic uh, and people are driving again, but it's also partly because, you know, uh, markets do not like uncertainty and there's nothing more uncertain than, than war. Yeah. Uh, and the other aspect of this is, you know, we're, we can expect in the coming weeks and months to have major uh, food crises across the world because a very large percentage of world consumption of wheat and especially sunflower oil, which is what most of the world cooks with, um, that's being shut off. Uh, it's being embargoed by uh, Russia. The Ukrainians can't get that stuff out of their warehouses and abroad. And the stuff that is leaving the warehouse is because we're captured by Russia and they're confiscating it. They're selling it themselves. Interesting. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's a way for Russia to sort of wait out uh, the sanctions, the, the opposition from Western Alliance. 
uh, in the hopes that you know it's going to sunder the alliance from within and it's going to create pressures from without the alliance from other parts of the world to you know hurry up and wrap this up. Uh, and the most likely uh, scenario that would uh, bring this about is to force Ukraine to accept some sort of settlement where they lose a large, even larger chunk of their territory. Right. And, you know, the Ukrainians don't want to do that. First of all, they're winning on the battlefield for the most part. They're in a bit of a standoff now, but uh, they have been getting and continue to get and will likely get in the future more sophisticated weaponry from the West. Uh, and they've beaten the Russians so far. Right. Uh, they've driven them back. Why not expect the same to happen? You know, it'll be a, a heck of a fight, but uh, Russian morale is very low. Um, one of the more cheering things you'll find on the internet, if you search for it, is like the uh, intercepted calls from Russian soldiers back home to Russia because they don't have secure communications and uh, they, they're often using uh, looted Ukrainian phones to make these calls. Uh, all this stuff is being captured, recorded, by the way, uh, and uh, it's used for propaganda today, but it'll be used for war crimes tomorrow. Right. So are these sanctions doing anything? They're not doing enough fast enough, uh, right. but they are They are really wrecking the Russian economy. They have inflation way higher than we have it. It's more like 12% in Russia today. They are having trouble reconciling uh, trade accounts. Because their banks are cut off from SWIFT including their largest bank, Sparebank. Uh, you know, it's... There's a saying that there's a fight in the in Russian homes between uh, the television and the refrigerator. Interesting. Uh, the television gives them the Putin line. Uh, the refrigerator says what's actually going on, right? You know, what do you have in the refrigerator. And the stuff that's in the refrigerator is getting more expensive. Uh, and I think uh, over time, the refrigerator is going to start to get a little bit louder than television. I mean, that is being there said, any... Yeah, I mean, yeah. is there any insight as to what's going on in Russia? Because I know when the war first started, there was a little bit of media about how there were protests and whatnot and how they were squandered very, very, very fast. I'm wondering if that's still going on. <clears throat> well, I would, I would call them squandered so much as squashed, right? Yeah. So a lot of arrests. Uh, if you if you protest the war, if you even call it a war, uh, you can be subject to 15 years in prison. Wow. It's not a war. It's a special military operation, after all. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, you, you run into a situation where um, parents who live in Russia are getting calls from their kids who live in Ukraine saying that they're being bombed, and the parents don't believe it. Interesting. They think their kids are, like, either taken in by propaganda, or they don't realize that it's actually NATO bombing them, or whatever. But they don't believe that there's actually Russians bombing civilian targets uh, in Ukraine. That's uh, wild. That is, yeah, it's... Uh, it is uh, one of the things Putin has done right is that he has seized control early on of the information space inside of Russia. And while Ukraine is totally killing Russia in terms of information warfare in the world, I mean, just look at Zelensky walking around the streets of Kiev uh, saying, you know, very defiant things when he's supposedly supposed to have been, you know, killed or driven abroad within the first three days of the war. Right. Uh, next to, many compared with images of Putin sitting at those ridiculously long white tables. So insane. Grabbing onto the table for dear life and, and, and repeatedly like moving his leg like they're, you know, you can't play doctor through the tele, through the television, but, uh, you know, you can see that he's not, he's not the guy who's riding bareback on those horses that we talked about last time. No. He's a very different guy. Interesting. 
So where does it, I mean, where do you see this going? I mean, obviously it doesn't feel like, it feels like it's kind of in a stalemate of just bad. <laughs> you know? Unless, well, here's, so here's the stalemate. Yeah. Putin can't back down. He right. can't cut, he can't declare a victory and go home because nobody would, would believe it. Uh, he has to have something very substantive uh, in hand. And he still believes that he can uh, force Zelensky out, that a little Z war will prevail over time. Uh, it is a incremental, you know, warfare by artillery and standoff munitions at this point. And it's not, uh, you know, blowing up the, the stranded armored columns that it was in the first opening weeks of the war. Right. Uh, and Zelensky can't uh, cut his losses and, and, and surrender. Um, he's making noises about t- getting all of Russia, uh, Ukrainian territory back for uh, Ukraine, uh, including in Crimea. Um, he is right to feel that way. Right. Uh, but who well, knows, maybe he, he, he'll come to a different calculation over time yep. uh, and there will be some sort of settlement. Um, I will say the sooner the war stops, the better for Ukrainians people. But it's got to be on Ukraine's terms in terms of, you know, we, we can't pull a Henry Kissinger and say, oh, OK, Ukraine, this is it. We're not sending any more weapons. you got to give up, you know, X, Y and Z towns and territories and, you know. Right. And, and demilitarize or whatever he was proposing. This is, this is sort of the realist thing where you got to sort of assuage Putin and, and, you know, cut a deal and then, you know, everything will be hunky-dory afterwards. Well, I mean, that's what happened in 2014. They, they cut some sort of, well, at least not a, you know, a signed deal. Uh, well, they did sign the, the, the Minsk Accords, which was a uh, negotiating process where, you know, Putin had his terms for, successfully resolving the war that Ukraine would not want to uh, to actually adhere to. And so they drew those negotiations out a very long time. It's So what we're going to likely see is what we're seeing right now. Artillery duels in Ukraine's uh, south and east. Uh, and maybe we're going to get some, I think we're seeing signs of Ukraine's getting increasingly more modern and lethal weaponry, including larger drones, multiple launched uh, rockets that, that the Russians have been using. And I actually just saw on Twitter today that uh, if the Ukrainians detect a ro- incoming rocket fire from positions in Russia, uh, the United States will give the green light for those positions to get hit from inside Ukraine, which wow. is kind of a new thing. A lot of what uh, it seemed that the Russian, uh, the, the, the Americans were kind of insisting on is, let's not give uh, the Ukrainians anything that would be lethal enough to threaten Russia itself, right? Um, let's not, and, and thereby provoke, you know, uh, potentially a tactical nuke being used on Ukrainian territory. I think we're getting past that. We're getting to the situation where it's like, uh, people probably know, uh, not everyone is saying it aloud, but we have to, you have to defeat Russia militarily. Um, I. I kind of like the idea of uh, setting up sort of a pencil sharpener system where, you know, Putin keeps putting that pencil into the pencil sharpener and it keeps getting ground up and ground up and ground up. And pretty soon you have this much pencil at the end. Um, that could be that is that is a recipe for conflict, casualties, chaos, destruction, food shortages, energy prices. It's going to be affecting everything and everyone, no matter where you are. No matter how far you are from the field of combat, right. uh, your prices are going to go up. You're you're going to have less reliable energy and food supplies. And I think the fight is also 
to establish, you know, who's to blame for this. This is a famous Russian question, Kotovinovat, who is to blame? Uh, the next one, next famous question is Shodelitz, which is what is to be done. What is to be done in this case is make sure that Putin does not win the uh, information war outside of his country. People don't believe that it's the West's fault for all this. Uh, it's the Ukrainians' fault for not giving up. I saw recently in the New York Times that the United States is at fault because we sufficiently armed Ukraine to stay in the fight. It would be much better for everybody, including Ukrainians, if they just got steamrolled very quickly and were, were you know, handed a devastating loss. Uh, Zelensky was gone, and they cut a deal that had made a peace, but it's right. a piece of uh, a conquered uh, nation, and maybe no longer even a nation after Putin got done with, with Ukraine. And I think the Ukrainians feel thanks but no thanks. Uh, and I think that the uh, neighbors to Ukraine's West uh, feel the very same way. Right. So where do you think the uh, U.S. is going to go from here now in supporting Ukraine? And you think we're going to start supplying more long-range missiles, which is what Putin directly said, We, if, he did, if we do, we'll, we'll take it as a direct threat against us? Yes. I think they're moving to that now. I think there's been uh, news of those kinds of munitions being delivered. I think... Uh, the, the uh, larger drones that have been a couple of days ago announced, uh, those are ones that can linger in the air for a very long time and fire Hellfire missiles. Uh, that'll be a, you know, a game changer or certainly a next level of yeah. uh, capacity for the Ukrainians. And by the way, the Ukrainians are also doing their own thing, right? They, uh, they produced the land-to-ship missiles that took out the Russian flagship, the Moskva. Yep. I think uh, they stand a chance with uh, sufficient assistance uh, to step up their game in, in the naval fight so, uh, and maybe drive those Russian ships off a bit more. Who knows? That's to be uh, seen in the future. The longer this goes on, the harder it is to get to uh, any kind of peace. But at the same time, you don't come to peace with your friends. You come to peace with your enemies. Yeah. Uh, so I think a piece will it does just it does feel though that like the only way this is going to end is who runs out of resources the fastest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the uh, smart weapons that that the Russians have been touting as as uh, improvements to the military, like in the last 10, 15 years, a lot of those had you know Western components, circuit boards, and those sorts of things. Well, they're not getting those anymore. So right. we'll see what they can do in terms we'll see what of. Happens. Import substitution for that kind of sophisticated uh, components. I will say that, uh, you know, the Russian car uh, factories have stopped because of they can't get these parts. Um, there recently was a uh, plane that flew into Moscow from, I believe, was Serbia. And it's stuck there because there's a mechanical difficulty and they can't get the parts or service uh, on a Western plane. For it to fly out so it's just it's trapped there it's it's russia's plane now yeah <laughs> one way i guess to get a plane it's uh it's abhorrent it's so upsetting i mean and like this is like one of the big problems with just media news is that something terrible sure. happens and then it just cycles through and doesn't get enough attention and people forget about it which is why i think it's important that we talk about it again because it's still going on and if you do spiral through twitter like it sounds like joe yeah. and i do you'll see the atrocities that are happening and it's horrendous and it's horrifying so well i i will say two things about that yes one of ukraine's biggest danger is so-called ukraine fatigue yeah where and it happens all the time uh ukraine faces a crisis 
Uh, it's at the top of everybody's inbox. Crisis continues for longer than convenient for the news cycle, mm-hmm. and people get tired of it. I don't think this is that. I think hopefully not. I think political leadership is going to sort of stay engaged and stay involved. Right. And, uh, and anytime you think that Ukraine fatigue will take over, Putin will do something else crazy and boom, yeah. back again. Yeah. And for the doom scroll thing, I would just <laughs> recommend that instead of corpses on the street, you look instead at the images of uh, Ukrainian tractors towing away abandoned and wrecked uh, Russian military tanks and APCs and the like. Because that's always a fun one to watch. Yeah, that one's better than the uh, corpses in the street because that also that's all there. And it's a shitty reality of what's going on and of the brutality yeah. of this war. But like to see the winning more than the losing. Anyways, any other comments you'd like to say on what's going on? Sure. Well, I would say that if you want to uh, get uh, more information uh, from people smarter than I, uh, do uh, follow the hindsight up front. Google that and it'll take you to our collection page of all Ukrainian content at the Wilson Center, written, video, and the like. There's some really great stuff. You know, nothing nothing moves uh, societies like ideas and new ideas. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so it's the Russians who are going to change this. It's, it's not going to be us. Uh, you know, we can help Ukraine defend itself, but... You know, we're not going to topple Putin. We're not going to, you know, change any minds. We can't even change our own minds of our relatives who live out in flyover country, if you will, and, and they haven't changed our minds. This is this is my break from nonpartisanship, but uh, yeah, information <laughs> arguments are are very difficult to win, to fight, to engage in. There, but it's it's a long process. But it's not something you can give up on. And Ukrainians are not going to give up. And the Western alliances are not going to give up because they know their self-interest is in the sake of this in Ukraine's success today. Absolutely. So, yeah, everyone keep paying attention. It feels like the only way that this is going to end is if Putin just keeps digging his hole deeper, deeper, and deeper, and hopefully just buries himself in it. Anyways, <laughs> this has been another great episode of Bureaucracy. Joe, so happy to have you again. Always great to see you. Um, great to be back. Great to talk to you. Likewise. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Bureaucracy. <laughs>